It's a joy for me to be here with you today, um, getting to preach about one of the things that I am uh, very passionate about. And uh, one of the reasons I am very passionate about what we are going to be uh, talking about today is because I've learned over my faith journey that I am a product of the fellowship. I am here today standing before you, the man I am today, because in God's great grace that he would have over my life, he brought me into the family of God. And this family along my journey has loved me enough to say some hard things to me, to challenge me, to encourage me, to exhort me, to do all the things that this book calls us to do with the one another's and to love me well so that today I could be here before you, not just preaching, but telling you that we're in this together, that we are in this faith journey together, and God designed it that way for a reason. And today we are going to get to discover what that reason is and what this looks like. We're in the second week of our new series that we're calling Family Devotions, as Lance said, and these are not anything new. We simply went to the scripture and said, what did the first century church commit to? What did they devote themselves to? And could we be about those things? And we realized that there was something very simple in the first century church, the very first church that they devoted themselves to. And there was four things that we saw in this first verse, the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And so if you want a, a preview of what the next few weeks are going to be about, those are the things that we will be focused on. But today we are rediscovering something that maybe we've not thought about in a while. And as I read through these, this text this week, as I journeyed through this text this week, I realized that uh, what we're talking about is, is nothing new. It's just maybe it's so old, it seems new because we've lost sight of it just a little bit. And I think today God is just going to simply reawaken in us this joy and this desire to be a part of this community and fellowship. And so we uh, quickly learned last week that uh, devotion is not an easy word for us in our context today. Uh, you see, a better translation here in Acts 2 is that they continually were devoting themselves. This was a day-by-day -day thing. They were committing themselves to this. They were constant, steadfast. They were persevering. And this first century church knew that this was going to require a day-by-day -day commitment to do so. Why? Because they realized that they discovered something very unique and very beautiful when they encountered Christ, when they encountered the gospel of Christ. And last week we learned about being gospel-centered people, about having the gospel be at the core of all that we do. And if we don't have that at the core of all that we do, then today will not make a lot of sense. Today will not make a lot of sense of why we would do the things that we would do as a fellowship if we don't first have the gospel at the center of our lives. And so this community dedicated themselves to the apostles' teachings, to be, being gospel-centered people and then they committed themselves to the fellowship. And the word here for fellowship is a word that maybe you've heard and maybe you haven't, but if you haven't, today you will learn it because I will repeat it a lot. And I want you to repeat it with me. It is koinonia. 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 That is the Greek word for fellowship here. It is used about 42, 43 times in the New Testament. And here's translated as fellowship, but it is a very layered word that today I think we're going to discover what all these layers, 
uh, mean and how they actually affect us as a church today. And so they committed themselves to this community. And at a very basic level, koinonia simply means having uh, something in common, sharing something with someone. And so in this first century church, we immediately see that they had, uh, Scripture says, all things in common. You see, this was actually uh, a reflection of something we've seen since Genesis 1. God creates Adam. And what does he say when he creates Adam? It is not good for man to be alone. And so he creates for Adam a helper. And now Adam gets to have fellowship with his helper, Eve. And now there is fellowship between Adam and Eve in humanity. But guess what? There is also fellowship between man and God. And in the garden, in the perfect state, we had perfect communion with God and with one another. And sin enters the world, breaks that fellowship, breaks that bond, breaks that unity. And for the next 2,000 years, as a human race, we begin to long for what we were created for. And it is this communing, this fellowship between the brothers and between God and ourselves. And we begin to see, even outside of the church, there is this instinct, inherent human nature that wants to know what this community, what this fellowship is. And maybe you've heard of some Greek philosophers. Um, and as I was reading through this and looking at how this word had been used, I found a couple from 400 years before Christ. Uh, a man by the name of Isocrates used the word koinonia to, to define the intimate and uh, rich relationship between husband and wife. That's how intense koinonia was for him. Another philosopher you might know, a guy by the name of Plato, in one of his greatest works, The Republic, where he talks about society and justice and, and man in this society, uses the word koinonia to ultimately try to portray, portray utopia or a perfect society. You see, we've been trying to figure out what this perfect fellowship and community means, but for these philosophers, it ended there as an empty philosophy. They would never see it realized. But for you and for me, the believer, the gospel-centered man and woman of Christ, we get a glimpse in the garden, and then we get the hope in Christ when he comes and dies. Because now what he has done is no longer gives us a philosophy, a utopia of fellowship, of community, but instead he breaks the barrier of sin and brings us into direct relationship with himself. And that is something that is worth celebrating. That is something that is worth fighting for. And that is something that is worth living for. And that is what the first century church had experienced in the gospel. And that is ultimately what brought them to the fellowship and to devote themselves to the fellowship. And so today, I want us to explore what this means for us. And you're probably wondering who's sitting here. It's not a person but this will come in a minute, okay? Uh, we will get here in a second. I just don't want you to be too distracted because I'm sure you're thinking, what is behind that? I'll show you in a second. But first, let's get to 1 John 1, okay? Please turn with me to 1 John 1. Go to the right uh, of your Bible. If you have your app, pull it up, 1 John 1. The last time I had the opportunity to preach about faithful family, I went to John because he, in this epistle, beautifully presents to us what it means to be a family, what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. But he starts off this book in a very unique way. He doesn't start it off with just that we are family. Um, the first part of this, he is presenting Christ as the light of the world. 
And then we get to verse 5 and he says, This message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The starting point for John before he even gets to fellowship is that we have seen Jesus because he has presented himself as the light and we have this light and this is a message that we must proclaim. Therefore, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The starting point for koinonia, for the fellowship, is actually Christ himself. In verse 6, he tells us that if we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in the darkness, we are liars. That's how serious John takes this, that we are liars and we do not practice the truth. John presents to us this pattern of light and darkness, of truth and falsehood for us to understand that these are not mere um, uh, thoughts. These are not simply ideas, but these are actually actions that every believer is to have in his life. And if I say that I am in fellowship with God, but I am walking in the darkness then I am a liar and I do not practice truth. The positive of that is that if I say I am in fellowship with God and I am walking in the light, then I am telling the truth and not just telling the truth, I am actually practicing the truth. And practicing the truth, again, is just simply this, that we are gospel-centered men and women who walk with Jesus. And here, John starts us off by saying, if we have this koinonia with Christ, we cannot be in the darkness. We cannot be in the darkness because he will not allow it. In fact, his gospel will keep us from the darkness. He's taken us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have forgiveness. And this is the assurance of our sins. And so John is helping us see that our decision is quite simple. It first starts with us deciding, are we going to be men and women of the light or are we going to be men and women that live in darkness, but say we have fellowship with God. John will say we can't have both. We can't do both. We are either men and women, salt and light of the earth, or we are in darkness. And have you ever wondered, maybe like me at times, Lord, how is my relationship with you? How close am I to you? How close do I relate to you? And, and, and maybe you have moments where you've heard God speak to you through his word, or maybe you've had a sense or a thought that comes into your mind, but maybe there's a thought in you, how close am I really to God? John will give us the answer to this in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, the test, or rather the proof that, our, that we have fellowship with God is in how we love our brother and our sister. If you want to know how close you are to God, you don't need to go any further than to see how you treat your brother and your sister here in the body of Christ. And this is the second reality we find about koinonia is that it is expressed in the body of Christ. This beautiful body 
It's what we call family. It's, it's the reason I use the word familia so much because it is so important to me for us to be reminded that you and I are brothers and sisters in the faith. And as brothers and sisters, we gather as the church, or what the New Testament says is the ecclesia, the church, when we gather. And this church is bonded together in the fellowship, by the fellowship. It is this committed partnership to one another that helps us live out what God has called us to live out. There in, in 1 John as well, just flip one page over to chapter 3. He says, see what love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This is a beautiful gift of love from the Father that you and I would get to be called brother and sister. It's a gift. It's a beautiful gift of love. And not just that, it is our identity. He says, he calls you son and daughter, but not just that. At the very end, he says, and so we are. This is your identity. You are a son and you are a daughter. And so we are to live out of this identity as a family in Christ. But when we don't, what we are actually saying is we have a very low view of what Scripture says about our identity. We have a very low view of what God says about his church. We don't, again, need to go very far. Your view of God's people reflects your view of God. How you treat the body, the church, the fellowship reflects what you really believe about God. And not just that, it also reveals our proximity to God. And I've said this before, and I'll go just a little bit further today. We have to have fellowship with God in order to have fellowship with one another. But we have to have fellowship with one another in order to have fellowship with God. And when we don't value or press into community, into the fellowship, it's less a reflection of the family God has placed us in and more a reflection of our proximity and our view of God. I know it's difficult at times. We all have family issues, right? I, I would love to see a hand of someone who says, I have the perfect family, or I've been at the perfect church. And if your mother-in-law is next to you, you're probably saying, yeah, I do, right? Because you got to get some points with the mother-in-law. But we know that there is no perfect family. We know that in this life, we are in this sinful, broken nature. And so we journey as broken people, dependent upon the gospel, dependent upon Jesus for our salvation and sanctification. And when we come to the body, we begin to see reasons not to connect, not to join the fellowship and we begin to make excuses, and when we do, that's less a reflection of the people around us and more reflection of our view and of God and the value he places on his church. John goes on to say in verse 8 of chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let me present to you an idea that may change your life. Not everything you think is true. Not everything you think is true. That's mind-blowing, right? And yet, many days you and I live as if every thought that passes between these two parts of my head are true. And John says, hey, bro, hey, sis, don't deceive yourselves. And if you're wondering what self-deception looks like, particularly in regard to the fellowship. I brought this visual for us that will hopefully help us see. You've seen this before, right? It's called Jenga. 
It's a game we've all played, and it uh, comes from the Swahili kajenga, which actually means to build. So, you know, we stack these things up, and we're trying to go higher and higher without breaking it down from the bottom. And the last person who pulls a piece and it collapses ultimately loses. And what I'm afraid some of us have done is we've, we've come to the fellowship, we've come to the koinonia, we come to the body, to what God calls us is, is, is to be very important in our lives, and we treat it like this game of Jenga. And, and we show up to church, and we show up to the body, and we say, you know what, I just, uh, I'm really tired this week, and I just don't feel like going to neighborhood group or I don't feel like having that conversation. It's just, it's too soon. And all of a sudden our emotions begin to dictate how we connect, how we uh, are connected to the body. And so we say, you know what, I just, I don't feel like it this week. And then one week becomes two weeks and two weeks becomes a month. And next thing we know, we're no longer apart here. We come here and we say, you know what, I just, I'm not ready, so I'll show up, but I won't, I'm not ready to serve. I'm just not at a place where I can serve right now. I just, I need, I need to be poured into. I'm in a season where I just, I need to receive. Well, bro, how long have you been in that season? I don't know, about three or four years. But you know what? I just, I, I think I need a couple more years just to, just to receive. I, I, I'm not trying to make light of this. I know there's a season. I've had seasons where I've needed to be pouring, but trust me, it's not a three or four year period. And so... You know what? I, I need to consume, so I, I won't necessarily kind of plug in, and we think we can move out here. All of a sudden, we begin to leave these gaps, right? There are these gaps in the fellowship. There are these, 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 these places where you and I are no longer plugged in, and so we begin to look around, and we begin to, to pull things here, and this is probably a pretty, pretty big one that a lot of us have, is, bro, you just you don't know the wounds I have from the church. I've been hurt a lot by the church, by people at the church. And I just, I can't trust the people at the church. And so I'm just not going to necessarily connect to the body because I just, I don't trust the people of God. And so we remove ourselves until finally we find enough reasons that this whole structure shifts and changes and inevitably it implodes. And the reason it implodes is because we've taken something very beautiful that God has given to us, and we've made it about ourselves. I'm sorry, I did not expect to scare kids with this. Ah, yes, but that's exactly what happens, right? Is this structure imploding messes up our humanity. I practiced this multiple times. I tried to make sure this was good. Did not expect that. But this is what happens, is we have all of this baggage we bring, and, and yet the imagery we receive about the fellowship, the body, is not that you and I are independent and we can do it on our own. That's what culture tells us, that you can do this by yourself, that, you know, you just got to get up, tie your boots, go to work, you'll figure it out, you'll get this done, and you can do this on your own. And so we, we see ourselves as pieces that can come in and out, and eventually, if we see, enough of us see the structure this way, it implodes. But instead, what God gives us in his word is a very different picture. And I want you to do me this favor and put your hand out in front of you and wiggle your fingers. And now, do me the favor of removing your hand from your body. 
Who was able to do it? Because I will be very impressed. None of us, right? The image that we receive from God about the body of Christ is not that we are independent pieces that can do it on our own and we can build our own structures. And It's the opposite, is that you and I are members of the body, that before coming to Christ, I was this toe floating around, and in God's great mercy, he brought me to the body, and he connected me. And I don't get to just remove myself from the body, no matter how, how, how um, in, I don't want to use this word, but no matter how ugly of a part my, my, uh, or member of my body I have, no matter how ugly my pinky toe might look, I don't, I don't go home and chop it off because I think it's got no use. In fact, I, I make sure that if I hit it on a chair, I'm going to ice it. You know, my whole body hurts because I hit my pinky toe. And many of us want to think we're hands and eyes and the mouth, but at best, we might be pinky toes in this body. And that's a beautiful gift of grace that we also have a role to play in this body. And God has called us not to move in and move out, but to be connected. And as we are connected, he says that this is where we find our cleansing. This is where we find our restoration. This is where we find our, our, the gospel maturing us as believer. And so if I hurt, you hurt. If you hurt, I hurt. If I celebrate, you celebrate. And this is the beautiful language of having one body. You've heard this text before, probably at a wedding, love is patient, love is kind. It was probably read at your wedding. And probably when you're at home and your wife tells you, hey, why is the pantry open yet again? And you remind her of this verse, love is patient, love is kind. Right? It's the way of love. But the context of that verse, in case you don't know, it comes right after chapter 12 where we are discovering many members of one body under the headship of Christ. And he says this, let me just read it over you, don't turn there. In verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, the pinky toe, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You see, we don't get to treat the body like Jenga. We don't get to treat the body of Christ like Mr. Potato Head that we just take parts of the body off. No, we actually are the body. We are members connected by Christ, by his blood. And so we are called to this unity, not disunity, to this unity, to be united and to persevere through that. And again, the only way we can persevere through that is if we are centered in the gospel, relating to God, loving God, receiving his love, and then actively pursuing one another to pour out this love to one another. And this is the beautiful gift of love we receive from God, that we experience the gospel in the body. And so maybe you have wounds, maybe you have preferences, Maybe my preaching style is just not up to par with what you're used to. That's okay, because in the body, God comes and takes this, this wood, takes this block, and he turns it, it, our stony hearts, to flesh. And all of a sudden, we begin to find this restoration in the body. 
And so let's finish up with this last section. He says in, here in 1 John verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Where else do we get to experience forgiveness of sins if not when we are able to confess to one another? Where else do I get to experience restoration of my heart and my mind and healing of past wounds if I don't sit with you and share those with you and hear you speak the gospel to me through the word of God, hear you speak the truths of God to me and allow that to really sink in so that it would transform my life? Where else do I get to experience this fellowship, this koinonia, this committed partnership if not in the church? This is the beautiful gift that God has given us is that he forgives us our sins when we confess not just to him but we're also called to confess our sins to one another that we might find forgiveness and he is faithful to cleanse us to renew us of all unrighteousness and so he tells us this is where we find the gospel lived out and that tells me that if I can't find this anywhere else and God values the fellowship this much then koinonia is worth the cost. Koinonia, the fellowship, is worth the cost. Don't think that we get to come in and consume and it is free. You see, we are sons and daughters of the greatest servant leader that ever, ever lived, and that's Jesus Christ. And he set the example for you and for me that he came and he gave his life that you and I would have fellowship with him. And if that's the example he gives to you and to me, the call for you and for me is that we would lay down our lives so that we could take up our cross and follow Christ. Please turn with me to Philippians 1. And this is where we'll camp out here the last few minutes. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 6. Philippians 1, 3 through 6 says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership, your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Even Paul knew that he could not do it by himself that he was not an independent piece, no matter how many letters he wrote and how greatly God used him. He knew that he needed the body. He needed this partnership in the gospel, this committed partnership in the gospel. And what we say here at the Grove is that this koinonia, this fellowship is a committed partnership for one another's spiritual good and for his glory. And that is the beautiful reason that the fellowship is worth the cost because it is for our good and for his glory. And so we are called to be committed. It's no longer optional. It's no longer preferential. Instead, he brings us into the fold. We commit to be a part of this body. And we take, he takes us from passivity to being active, from, from preferential to loving obedience, from optional to committed. And he tells us here, Paul tells us here, that he who began the good work in us will complete it. Skip down a few verses with me to verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The visual we get here from Paul is that we would be of one spirit and one mind contending for the faith together, arm linked up with arm, that, that as I look to my right, I'm not alone. As I look to my left, I am not alone, but I am linked up in arms. And if I fall, I get picked up. If you fall, I pick you up. And this is us contending for each other's faith because it is that important. We cannot do this by ourselves. And we're never designed to do this by ourselves. We were never meant to do this by ourselves. So why do we think we can? Why do we think we can just do this on our own between us and God? That is darkness. That is a lie. But the truth is that we need one another. I need you. I need you for my faith to grow, for my faith to mature. The fellowship is that important to me that it will, whatever it will cost, I'm willing to bring forth because it means that much to me because God says it means that much because it is what he uses for his purposes. And so we're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And we're not frightened and we get to move forward in gospel direction with gospel purpose. You see, the fellowship, the committed partnership is, uh, is for our co common spiritual good, but that's not the end. It's not just that we would get to hang out with people we enjoy and we like and we love, and those that we don't, well, yeah, I'm not going to hang out with them. No, the, the fellowship has a greater purpose, has a greater reason, and it's, yes, our common, our spiritual good, but it is also the glory of God. And so... Let me end with two practical applications for you. And I've titled these very simply, um, Don't Be That Guy. Let's be that church. Okay, I'm going to take you back to 1 John. This will be the last time I ask you to flip the Bible. Go, actually, go to 3 John, the third book of John, verse 9. Don't be that guy. Let's be that church. This is John writing again after he's written about being family in Christ. He says this, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. We don't often talk about people in the Bible that um, Paul and John and a few other people call out by name, right? I mean, you have to be doing some pretty bad stuff to be called out by name. And here John takes a few verses in this third uh, epistle he writes. It's not a very long one, but he, it's important enough for him to write about this brother, Diotrephes. And what has this brother done? He's put himself first. He does not acknowledge authority. He is not content. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and he pushes the people of the church out. And if you're sitting here and you're like, ooh, I know someone that's like that. I hope they're listening right now. Let me present to you and, and, 
and remind us that this is in all of us. And if we are not careful, we will live out of these realities. We have a high tendency to put ourselves first. And if you want to know if that's true or not, just look at your Monday through Saturday. Look at your calendar. Look at how you spend your money. Look at who you have in your life. You don't have to go very far to see whether or not you put yourself first. And John would say, this brother, he's missing the mark. He's putting himself first. He's not acknowledging authority. He's not content. He's pushing the brothers out. Don't be that guy, fam. Don't be that guy. Instead, let's be the church. Let's be the fellowship that we read about in Acts 2. And this is where we'll stop today. Acts 2, 44. Just listen. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wouldn't it be beautiful? Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be awesome to see this kind of community exhibited among us here locally at the Grove Church? That day by day we would devote ourselves to the gospel, that day by day we would devote ourselves to one another, to the fellowship, that we would be committed partners, that we would contend and fight for each other's faith, that when you and I deviate, we would have people around us that would say, bro, not that way. That's darkness. Come back to the light. Wouldn't it be beautiful that instead of us thinking this is my money and my house and my life, that we would be reminded that we are stewards of what God has given us. It's not my house and it's not my money and it's not my life. No, in fact, I've laid it all at the feet of Jesus. And so if he says, share what you have with the brothers, I would gladly say there is no need among my brothers and sisters because I look out at you, I see your need, and whatever I have, I place for us to share in. That is a committed partnership. It is not optional. It is not something that I get to step in and step out of when I feel like it. No, it's especially when it's hard that I probably need to be pressing the most into it. And when we do, we will see beautiful things like this, that day by day we'll be at temple and home worshiping Jesus in awe of all the things he is doing, not just in our lives, but at the end of this, we read that God added many, many to his church. What a beautiful testament to the world that you and I would truly be committed partners in the gospel for one another's good, for God's glory. And as people enter this church, this local body, they would see this embodied in us. They would see a church that has the commonality of the gospel, that has a common good in sight, that seeks to do well for one another, that even when it's hard and we don't like each other, we don't just jump out. No, in fact, we say, hey, you know what? We're going to figure this out. We're going to work through this. We're going to wrestle through this. And we're going to figure this out because it will bring glory to our God. And then we will praise God. And we will have favor with those that are around us. I pray that this will be true for you and for me. I need you, fam. I need you. I need you to be a part of this fellowship because it is the only way that we will get to live out what God has called us to live out. So I just simply ask, do you see your need for me and for the body, for the brother and sister that is next to you? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that in your great grace, in your great mercy, you would bring us into the family of God, um, not because we are worthy and because we do things perfectly. No, in fact, uh, it is simply because you loved us. And I pray that every day we would be reminded of the great love that you have for us, that while we were still sinners, you died for us, and then you brought us into the body to be members, not to step in and step out as we feel like it, but instead to be connected, to be committed, to be partners in the gospel so that we can grow in our faith, so that we can grow in our relationship to you. And also, Lord, in the process, we can bring glory to your name. There's no way we're going to be able to be a missional body there's no way we're going to be a church that can look beyond ourselves if we are divided, if we've allowed the enemy to divide us, and we are that guy who puts ourselves first. But Lord, when we come and we lay everything we have at your feet and say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I will do. It is in that posture of humility, Lord, that you allow us to stay connected, that you allow us to grow, that you allow us to heal, that you allow us to truly be the fellowship, the koinonia, so that this body can build itself up in love and carry out your great mission of making disciples of the whole world. Lord, forgive us where we have not placed value and priority. Show us maybe where we need to repent of that. And allow us this week, Lord, to engage the brother and sister, the family, the friend that maybe needs to be encouraged or maybe we need to repent to. Or maybe the person we need to grab and say, hey, let's get, to, let's get after this. Let's seek after this for our faith. Let's go serve together. Let's read the word together. And ultimately, Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified as we inevitably, inevitably will fumble through this day by day. But Lord, we are committed. We are devoted. We love you. We're grateful. And we just pray, Lord, that your will would be done here at the Grove Church and in all the churches around us so that the great message of Jesus would be proclaimed. We're grateful. We love you. It's in your name that we pray.